Hello everybody and welcome back to the Soda Pop Podcast. It's Mark again. I just wanted to let you guys know that we are still working on that new intro music that I was talking about in the last episode, but it'll it'll be ready soon, I promise. It'll be ready soon. We have a meeting later this week as of editing this episode to talk about it. But for now, just enjoy this second episode of season five of the Soda Pop Podcast. And here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Soda Pop Podcast. This is season five, episode two, and today I'm here with some wonderful guests. I'm back here again with Dr. M and two other people. Well, have them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Christina Giacona. Actually, I should say Dr. G if there's Dr. M. Uh, I am a music producer. I'm an ethnomusicologist who specializes in uh, Native American music, and I'm also a clarinetist. And I'm Patrick Conlon. I'm the assistant director at the University of Central Oklahoma's Academy of Contemporary Music. Um, I'm a music engineer, violinist, composer, and the other half of Onyx Lane, along with Christina. And I should mention, uh, I teach at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, So we're representing Oklahoma in the house right now. Mm -hmm. Excellent, excellent. Well, I love that you guys both are in music, um, because I do have a couple of things that I have asked you in a second, but please tell me just like a little bit more about like how you work in Oklahoma, like where, like, are you guys from there or... Yeah, so we are both transplants to Oklahoma. Uh, I'm from Los Angeles, California originally. And then I actually got my master's degree with uh, Dr. Megan Merciers in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then I went on to do my doctorate at the University of Oklahoma. And after graduation, the best thing happened, they offered me a job. So uh, I, yeah, I, I kind of stayed to, uh, to fulfill some, they needed to fill some classes that were needed. And then from there, I've developed um, the Native American music program for the School of Music. But I met Patrick at the University of Oklahoma. Yeah, we were both students together. Um, Christina asked me to be part of the Los Angeles New Music Ensemble somewhere around 15 years ago. Probably a little more Uh, at this point. (laughs) Yeah, and so we uh, did that for a few years um, and Kind of similar. Um, I graduated. I started teaching adjunct and had a bunch of, uh, you know, orchestra positions that I was doing. And then within a year, got a full time gig at UCO and it kind of became the the settle spot for us. Um, Anyone who's been a professor knows if you're a couple who are both professors getting jobs in the same city in the same field. Yeah, it's near impossible. Uh, So it is it lucked out. Yeah. And we like it. Yeah, we like the the music uh, scene is growing here. The film scene is growing here. And uh, because it, you know, kind of starting from the ground up with some aspects, we were able to get in early uh, and really uh, develop the scene with, you know, our other talented colleagues. Well, if, uh, if you don't mind me asking, you mentioned Native American music program. Like, how did you get all into that? Like, do you have like a, like a Native American like background or like? So um, I weirdly have always been into Native American music, though I did not know. <laughs> um, so my grandmother, um, she uh, lived in um, Arizona and, and New Mexico, and she also lived in um, near Barstow, California. And uh, many of her students actually were Native American, and uh, she would always play these song like recordings that she would make when she was doing her lessons. And I was very interested, but I didn't really know much of it 
much about it at the time. I was very young. Actually, when I went to the University of New Mexico, I know Megan and I both just fell in love with the music, the culture, the food, um, and uh, not knowing that it would become something I was extremely interested in later, the University of Oklahoma, Oklahoma in general, this is, this is native country. Uh, I was just immersed in the music and how I actually kind of segued into learning more about it is um, I was, I am a music producer and uh, there was always these songs I listened to growing up that at the time I thought represented Native American culture, but they completely didn't. And so I started studying these stereotypes that were happening in music at the same time as I was studying music from Oklahoma specifically. And um, yeah, I started out teaching two classes of Native American music. Now it has grown to uh, about 12 a, like a 12 a school year. Uh, so I have about 500 students that I'm teaching um, essentially Oklahoma, mostly Oklahoma Native music too. Okay. Well, um, I love that you brought up like stereotypes of music because that brings me to our next segment, which is soft drinks and soft jams. Um, it's a new segment we're doing for the podcast. And basically, I want you to tell me your favorite um, soft drink and a current song of the week. Like for me personally this week, I really do love, I, I have a whole lot of different sodas for everybody listening, for our returning listeners. But one of my new favorite sodas, um, well, not new, old, is Sunkissed Peach. I love peach flavored things. And my song of the week this week happens to be Alien Superstar by Beyonce because it pushes a lot of boundaries and doesn't fall into the same stereotype that is R&B. So I, I want to know what your current song of the week is. Patrick, what's your song of the week? Uh, what's your, what's your soft drink and song of the week? Yes. Soft drink. So mm-hmm. weirdly enough, the only other person I found who this was their favorite soft drink growing up is Drake. But Tahiti Treat is this weird soft drink that was big in Canada in the 90s. <laughs> and it's just like a fizzy kind of fruit punch soda that's like pure high fructose corn syrup. But I was obsessed with it when I was a kid. So it's like, that's probably my... My favorite secret soft yeah. drink. I mean, who doesn't love some good high fruit choice corn syrup? It might kill you, but it's good. Absolutely. If Drake can drink it, so can you. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So which song? Oh, um, I would say um, there's a version of a Herbie Hancock song by Kamiko Kasai called As. Um, and it's just like that particular version of it. Uh, we've just been running on repeat for like a year and a half now. It's a Stevie Wonder song, right? It is a Stevie Wonder song that was covered by, yes, it's the, yeah. that's the. Herbie Hancock, she did a version with Herbie Hancock. Yeah, she loved band, the Stevie Wonder Yeah, his song. band's the backing band for this track. It is so groovy. So mm-hmm. I can't actually think of, and you're going to have to look up the song title for me. It's on that same um, playlist we were listening to. It's like, I can boogie, boogie. <laughs> oh, yes. So we found. Long. We found this song that was like a Eurovision hit in the. 80s. I love Eurovision, and I could talk to you guys about that for hours. But we have some questions <laughs> we have to talk about. The next podcast, yes, Eurovision. Eurovision. Which is "Yes, Sir, I Can Boogie" by Baccarat. Okay, and they um, were the Spanish yes. winners. And- the Spanish one, yeah, it's it's really groovy, um, and we can send you. Um, the names, spellings for all these things. Yeah. So you can look them up after. Um, oh, yes, most definitely. Because it's going to go on a playlist that we have. So Ooh, yeah. I was going to email you afterwards. But what is your favorite soft drink? You didn't say that. So I'm oh. going to go old school. I'm going to do Coca-Cola right now. Because we love I Coke. All soda for a really long time. And then we just got back from Italy. And there is nothing more refreshing than being in 105 degree heat. You know, you're sweaty. You need to take an immediate shower. But before so, you just open up a can of soda, like a Coke, you know, get your energy going, 
sugar high? Yes. There's a nice thing in Italy, like they always give you a glass and they just give you the bottle. Like they don't really do the fountain soda thing. Yeah. And there's just something fancy about like pouring yourself a Coke. And you're not always thing. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, especially like, have you seen those little bottle glasses that are Coke size? So it has the mm -hmm. perfect amount. I love that. I, yes. That's just a personal thing. Um, <laughs> but before we get into like more about you guys, you guys are here for I2E2, which is a seminar that we put on. Um, for people who don't know, I want them to know what I2E2 is. So if Dr. M will take it away and tell All us right. more about that. All right. Well, I actually have a new soda for this week also, and soft oh. jam, if you're cool with Yes, it. go ahead. Go okay. ahead. Okay. Okay. So I am a fan. Um, actually, Christina got me into this. Um, I am a hardcore, like, I used to be a hardcore Diet Coke drinker. I, I drew, drank Coke growing up, but then when we moved to New Mexico, it was a Pepsi campus. And so I controversial i know but i love coca-cola regular coca-cola i don't like diet coke at all but i love I don't either. diet diet pepsi i think is where it's at so See, i'm a pepsi girl when it comes between like coke and pepsi i'm a pepsi girl to me pepsi's stronger that's probably why i like it it is it's pretty it is, strong yeah. i like the the fizzy goodness of and the citrusiness of the um diet pepsi versus the diet coke which is more like a vanilla and and all of that vanilla and spice I am listening currently to uh, Langhorn Slim's Life is Confusing. I, I just, he's great. It's wonderful. So okay. something to add to the list. Most definitely. I want to be as yeah. long as possible. Take these three uh, hours, four billion hours to get through it, to be honest. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Well, I2E2 is, um, it's a conference, uh, as we said on last week's podcast, that was started by my predecessor. It, it, I2E2 stands for Ignite, Inspire, Educate, and Engage. And basically, it's a conference that um, promotes people coming together to discuss equity and accessibility in the arts. Um, and so we have had, this will be our fourth uh, I2E2, but um, it will be our third in-person I2E2. We had kind of some webinars uh, during COVID that were were pretty spectacular, I think. Um, this year, they all, there's always a new theme each year that we have I2E2, and this year it is I2E2, whose story? And we have changed the format a little bit. Um, we're going to have an opening night concert on September 1st. There will be a... Um, a pre-concert or it's actually pre-performance. It's not just a concert. It's a, it's a full on immersive experience, but it's a pre-performance lecture at 6 PM in Norton auditorium. And then at seven 30, we'll commence with the performance um, cube of light. And uh, the uh, Christina and Patrick are the creators, producers, uh, composers, the wonderful everythings that it happens to be cube of light and i'm sure they're going to talk more in, in just a little bit about um what that is so i'll i'll leave that to them and then uh friday we will have kind of a class style format so there's an eight o'clock breakfast um where you can come in everything is in norton auditorium by the way and it is free on friday we have uh, a breakfast and then we will have our dean come in and uh, speak. And then our partners um, for I2E2 this year are the Muscle Shoals National Heritage Area. Um, uh, Carrie Crawford uh, is the director of that. And the um, we also have Mitchell West Center for Social Inclusion. And Andrea Hunt is the uh, director of that. And Allie Bergner, Allison Bergner, is the, um, the assistant 
director for that. And so we've been partnering uh, with Christina and Patrick to kind of set up this year's I2E2. Um, so there will be a nine o'clock lecture and then there will be a 10 o'clock panel discussion and an 11 o'clock keynote address. And we'll talk more about that later in the episode. So that's I2E2 this year in a nutshell. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, now, as you said, they're, I like to call them basically a still from Disney, but Imagineers when it comes to this event that they're putting on in live performance. Um, but can you tell me like what Cuba Light is, like what it's all about, everything that is, well, a Cuba flight, I guess. <laughs> yeah, why don't you go ahead and talk about Ulfers Eliason? Sure. Um, so Cube of Light became our pandemic album. Um, and so basically what happened is we were originally asked back in... 2019. Uh, 2019 to write the music that would go along with an art installation. Um, so there's this art installation and it was based on um, some works by a artist named Olafur Eliasson and they were all these very conceptual kind of light sculptures. And so we started working on it and then the pandemic happened and then we couldn't have an interactive art installation when people were there. And then the art piece moved on to its next house and we kind of, it kept growing during the pandemic. So it was originally going to be this interactive multimedia piece. And then it started to become a full album. And then we asked some choreographers if they would be interested in making a couple of music videos. And then that became a music video for every single one. And so the way I kind of describe it is it was our like we kind of came through it from the academic art side, but it was basically like Beyonce's video albums. It's kind of what yes. we're doing. There's a music video for every single album. That's what we're going for. So basically you played the improv game of Yes And. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so now the cool thing with it is, so the album's finished. We have it on vinyl and it's on all the released, you know, digital streaming services. Um, but we're also building the live tour version of it now. And so we'll be doing a chamber ensemble version of it at I2E2. And then in a couple of months, we're doing a full wind ensemble version at the University of Oklahoma. Okay. Well, you mentioned um, like different performers and choreographers and everything. So like, where did you find these people to like collaborate with on your project? Because I watched a little bit of it and like you get a vast group of people. So I was like, curious, like how did you meet all of them? So we're all friends of ours. Um, and so uh, pretty much uh, we kind of know or we'll know somebody who knows a performer of most genres in Oklahoma City. So originally we were thinking about maybe one video would have a dance segment. And uh, during the pandemic, all these dance students didn't really have anything to do because they couldn't do live performances. So what we asked, we asked a friend, it was actually a colleague of Patrick's, mm -hmm. uh, Pichapus, who, um, who uh, she started a dance company in Oklahoma City called Race. And so we said, we want, we want the dancers, the choreographers, um, the costumers, everybody to have complete say in the vision they had. Like we had some ideas about what the song to us, what it was about, but it didn't necessarily need to be displayed through the choreography with the exception of light. Light was the only constant be between each one. So it's every person's version of what they view as light. So um, so we went to Hicha and we said, hey, can your company do two of the videos? She said, absolutely. She set us up with two wonderful choreographers. Then she actually suggested, uh, I have a dance class 
um, who would be interested. It was an all female led, and they actually did a lot of the choreography themselves that the dancers themselves um, put together a video and hers is actually the most, I guess theirs is the most, I don't know, methodical. Like it was very, yeah. He talked about this awesome, like five page um, kind of like mission plan for the choreography. And it was based on this uh, psychologist's idea about like the order of adolescence. So like when you're a small child, you kind of just experience things and then you follow all of the rules that you're told. And then you stop wanting to follow the rules. And then you have this period of like, I don't know if anything's true anymore. And then you kind of find your own independent way and kind of yes, yes. sense of self basically. Um, and so she had the dancers were really showing them going through all of these steps. Yeah. So the UCO dance department uh, spent a lot of time They're They're featured on a lot of these videos. And then uh, I wanted, uh, since we're, this was made in Oklahoma, I wanted there to be a native presence as well. So uh, our friend uh, Maggie Boyette um, does a, a, a dance that kind of shows the contemporary version of native choreography versus the traditional. And she, in the video, it's actually her, her mother and her grandmother all doing a traditional dance. And she's a contemporary dancer. And so then she shows her side of, you know, going to like essentially conservatory uh, yes. to like dance. Cause I watched the making of and that was probably my favorite part that you got to implement the native dance into it. Cause I, you said how important it was to you growing up. And it was nice to see someone to integrate their culture um, that they grew up with, with people in their lives. And I love how she said like, we haven't had a chance to get together and do our powwows and things of that nature and so it was very like touching to watch that mm -hmm. um but another question I have to ask you guys is like because I'm, I'm learning more just talking from you guys like just about this like what we plan to learn uh what did you expect to learn like pre-performance uh, like pre-performance of a lecture pre-performance of the pandemic all the things like that what do you want your audience to learn so I think one of the cool things for us was um we do a ton of client work. And so client work is, um, you know, you, you're getting paid to provide a service to create someone else's vision. And so for this project, and this is kind of, uh, you'll notice kind of all of the things Christina's talking about in the keynote, they're all what make up kind of her own lived experience. And so part of it is that um, there's a lot of people in the arts who want to showcase their vision and use other people to create that vision. And what we wanted to do with this was create space for us and all of our friends to make art together. And I think um, that's what we really, the main thing with this, even the drummer and the guitarist, we were like, here's the track. What are you feeling over it? Like, we want this to be a creative expression for you in collaboration rather than us dictating what we want you to do. And so I think part of it is that um, one of the things I'd love the audience to understand is like, even when you're a full professional and you're working and you're getting paid to do your work, you still need to find space to be an artist and just make art with your friends. And that's what a lot of this project was. Um, and I think so that comes through in it as well. So basically you're just like learning how to be a kid again and play with somebody for the first time and share yeah, it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Actually, to kind of add on to that, um, when we were having one of our uh, meetings in building out I2E2 with all of the partners that are involved, um, it was Christina and Patrick that came up with the tagline for I2E2 Whose Story, um, the power and problems of collaboration. I mean, I can't think of a more perfect um, you know, group of people to come in and talk about it because this was such a large scale project. And so, yeah, thought I'd add that tagline in there. 
because I, I love the title. It, it actually is going for the title of it of today's episode is going to be like whose story is it anyways because you never really know whose story you're telling until you get there and you're making the progress you're making the story and so like you say you guys collaborate together um so how do you guys collaborate and you know find the story behind onyx lane oh well i depends on who tells the story Uh. (laughs) (laughs) so i'll start with the name and then we'll talk about how we actually collaborate so onyx lane was actually the street i grew up on uh and i love that it's very it was, cool edgy yeah and every street in the neighborhood was based off of like a stone and so <sighs> i lived in onyx you know there's diamond lane um topaz that was a good street Ooh, uh, yeah. and uh there was some of the, the place that we made some of our first recordings uh we would you know i would go home it was like my parents house you know and go home we would just like go in the bedroom and we had like a musical idea we would try and get it down and record um and so when we were building our brand uh you know it's like where were we first creative together and it was mm-hmm. on onyx lane so that's the oh. name of our, yeah that's where the name came from uh so i definitely take more of the producer role when we're collaborating and Tad, patrick definitely takes more of like the composer uh well we compose together but usually what will happen is patrick will do a little doodle on the piano in the music studio and if it's good i come in and go like wait that go yes that and then if it's not good we kind of just let him ramble for a bit and then <laughs> i've witnessed this yeah. i've witnessed this this is how this happens uh you know and sometimes he'll be playing something and i'll hear a melody on the top and i'll come in i'll start singing it and then he immediately has to go get a cell phone and start recording it um so that's the first part of you know the birth of a composition mm-hmm. uh, but from there actually patrick he since he is um, an engineer he composes a lot inside you know the recording programs of pro tools or logic or something like that so you want to talk a little bit about that process sure yeah so it takes a while to figure out who you are and then it keeps changing which is the fun part of these things um so for onyx lane um we were really lucky that we got we had some really great advisors who helped us figure out what our brand was and what your brand is is and this kind of goes with everything it's what is your story you know, like, what is your story of who you are? And so for us, we are music producers and composers who can either slot into a project or take it all the way through. And so on the audio engineer side, uh, the nice thing about modern, what we call DAWs, so digital audio workstation, so Pro Tools, Logic, all of those, recording technology, MIDI, all of these things is that it is easier to make sounds happen without having to hire a ton of people in order to do it. It is easier to realize your imagined sounds. The bad side of it is there is a ton of technical knowledge that you have to learn in order to do that. And so um, my kind of main approach, and I teach audio engineering at my school too in studio recording, is you need to know your tools well enough that the tools get out of the way and you're just focusing on the music. That's for everyone who's part of it. And so it's the same way learning an instrument. You know, you need to learn your instrument well enough that you're making music through it rather than thinking about the technical aspects of it. And so, yeah, on the audio engineering side, that's kind of, there's a bunch of different steps and too long for this, but yeah. Well, for this, yeah, I was gonna say for this particular album, we borrowed a friend, I think it's Prophet Six. Is six the number? Yes. So it's a synthesizer. And so a lot of the the ideas were built around the sounds that we were getting inspired from there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially the first yeah. tracks yeah. were basically just over winter break, spending two weeks and just, I don't know, we recorded about 20 hours of sounds and then picked 
our favorite 10 minutes of it. And I believe it's the same synthesizer they use for the Stranger Things. It's one of them, uh, yeah. For oh. the intro. Yeah. And for a lot of the first season. Yeah. I, I have a quick follow-up question, if y'all don't mind. Um, so it, 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 that's talking about your process. Th- this one in particular, and you've done lots of collaborations in, with, um, or at least soundtracking film and things like that with your company, but how was it this time around incorporating someone who was uh, collaborating with film for a project that you conceived? Sound-wise. I was, was going to ask a very similar question. Oh, I just want to tap on to this. Like when it comes to collaborating with others, do so you feel the story you're trying to tell gets more lost along the way because you are crowding with someone who does a completely different medium than you. You're going for more like a feel and a sound versus an end product. So I feel like that tied on, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, so different projects for sure have different, I don't know, holds or grips you want to have part of it. The music was completely done on this so the other people actually like they didn't have much say in like what the sound was and we've done other projects with these same people where it's actually more of a back and forth with the composition and the like say the dancers are usually like i want eight more bars of this or that and this was like here's our song yes for this particular one other than the concept of light we did not really give them that much direction so we kind of had to let go of the idea that if it wasn't exactly what we wanted we didn't tell them that um and so they actually kind of more were afraid that we weren't going to be happy. And we had some back and forth. So like, do you want this or do you want that? But we pretty much just said, let's see what happens. Let's film it. Let's record it, you know, dance. Let's see what happens. Now we had a lot. So the choreography itself, we didn't really have that much input. Uh, I mean, we're not choreographers. I, you know, I think we would have made it worse. Uh, but our film person, uh, Josh Bivens, who's become our number one guy, um, we've definitely built a relationship off of, you know, through the editing process. And so um, if there wasn't something that was coming across, we would talk about that in the editing because he took so many different shots and angles and things. Um, so it's like, where is the transition going to happen? We talked a lot about that. Or uh, what is the the overall feel color, like the colorization? What are we looking for? Uh, a lot of the colorization, particularly on this one, uh, we tried to do naturally. So the very first track and the very last track, it's like first light and then like light, like at the end of the day, we film them at those times. So okay. You know, we, yes, we were out in the cold. It was freezing and windy <laughs> like 4 a.m. to get that. Wow. Yes, we we were all cranky. I sat in the car a lot. <laughs> <laughs> With the heat on. <laughs> With the heat on. And they're you all there dancing in like, you know, like the, the thinnest material possible. Well, well, the passion of dance with people more. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Side well, note, Christina does not like to be cold. <laughs> I understand. I'm the same way. I'm a Southern girl through and through. I cannot stand being cold. I am very much like, I'm a fall girl because it's not too cold, not too hot. Spring girl. I just have really bad allergies. So spring doesn't like me. But um, <laughs> I do have a couple questions for like Dr. G, since that's what she preferred to be called. Um, what do you plan to be like giving out? Like, what do you plan to teach everybody? during your seminar? So uh, the seminar is more of a lecture-based, you know, hour that we're going to discuss different songs and essentially what's the narrative or the story that's being told through the song itself. So all the songs I'm going to be discussing are songs that I, I kind of, I came up with this term, it's called singing red face, which are songs that through the performance, somebody is pretending to be native. I love I love that, but you can continue. Continue. Yeah. I don't want to cut you off. 
Oh no, um, you're good. You're good. Yeah. Oh, I was um because like you said, you talked about stereotyping throughout native music, and I I love. Can you like elaborate more on that? Because I wanted to touch that up more when you mentioned it. Yeah. So um, we've there's a lot of research on old minstrel songs and blackface and the problematic nature of somebody pretending to be black. Yes. There has not necessarily been the same impetus to learn about when somebody's pretending to be another ethnicity, so specifically Native American. So we are seeing actually a lot of uh, change in a positive way as far as people who were, you know, white essentially representing Native stories and culture through like mascots. Um, But we don't really talk about the music. So there's all these things that we hear that we associate with being Native American music, which are actually songs that were conceived by somebody who was not Native. And yeah, so there's like this drum beat that, uh, you know, it's like the Hollywood engine drum beat is often what it's called for its or it goes one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Actually not a Native American drum beat. It doesn't exist in Native American music. But because the story has continually been told, we associate that, well, non-Natives associate that with being Native. Yes. So singing Red Face is essentially looking at those stereotypes that we as non-natives have created that are identifying, you know, native culture. Yes. So some of the songs I'm gonna, you know, and this is gonna be more of a lecture based. I love uh, discussion, I love questions. Um, So we're gonna look at Peter Pan, uh, what makes a red man red. Um, We're gonna be looking at, uh, so it's essentially like a whole slew of songs. It's a bunch of different versions of uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders song called Indian Reservation. We're going to look at the original through the last version of the song, which is actually, so the song was appropriated from somebody who was native. Mm -hmm. And then the last version we're going to talk about is somebody who's native who actually reappropriated the song from like the fifth cover. (laughs) So like, would you be looking for like a lot of audience participation when it comes to moments like this and like, let it be interactive and not just you basically standing there, even though it is a lecture and not just you standing there and be like, this is it. And you want questions and things of that nature, you know? Yes, questions. Or I remember hearing that song or I never really thought about it that way. Um, and uh, so, you know, depending on how much time we have, we can talk about Tim McGraw's Indian Outlaw uh, or um, uh, Cher has a song called Half Breed. Uh, we could talk about, you know, the not just the music, but the music videos, the album artwork, all of those stories are told through different mediums. Yeah. And I love it when people go like, what about this song? And I said, yes, let's, let's analyze this song real quick. Or let's, you know, let's go back and play this song. I also want to play some music there, not just talk about it. It's right. Music. You got to hear it. Yes. That's what, like <laughs> most media, like most media, if you don't experience it in the way it was intended to be experienced, you will never know what it was truly be about. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's well, cool. a lot of her research. And this has helped me with talking to my students about like, in, I teach a film scoring class. And so a lot of this comes up. So I actually use a lot of Christina's research in my class for like, don't do this that everyone used to do. So she's built a bunch of terms and basically tools to talk about it. And cause it's, it's, that's kind of like a big thing that academics are able to provide for, you know, like our society is the tools to be able to actually talk about and analyze things so that then you can change it. Because if you don't have any words to talk about, you're like, this is bad. And they're like, well, what about this? Is this also bad? And so when you break it into individual terms, you know, like um, you've got idealized sympathy and, you know. Racial antipathy. You know, like. Basically putting it in layman's terms for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's like not all bad in the same way. And they're not all just bad. They are 
bad and here's why doing things and we we do a lot of film scoring and um you know i'm really tired of people who are not you know from a specific race trying to write music that's supposed to sound like a specific just hire somebody who there's actually currently a whole um debacle going on because a a company i want to say scalped records made a black virtual artist with no black people involved at all um saying a whole bunch of racial slurs and it was terrible i mean absolutely awful um and you know internet's trying to cancel but we don't know we all know how successful that typically ends um and they're trying to like backtrack and be like, oh no, we're sorry, we didn't know when you obviously knew what you were doing when you did not have a single person of color on that team. Let's yep. just be honest. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of part of like all, all my research and a lot of things that Patrick teaches. It's like, come on, we can do better. Let's do better. You know, it yes. doesn't even, you know, so uh, sometimes I'll have students who will go like, you know, I grew up playing the game, you know, Cowboys and Indians. And I said, well, let's talk about that. Like the Cowboys always won right? Is that what we want want to continue? We can, as we grow older and as we educate ourselves, we are allowed to change some of those, I don't know, uh, things that we were just taught, you know, on the playground and for our future, for our children, have these narratives change, these stories change to actually represent others, you know? Exactly. We do not clap for fish who swim. That's literally what they do. We can always do more than what clapping does. That's yeah. what I, that's how I always feel. It's like you breathe air, but you don't need an applaud for that. That's part of what you do. So you can always take the extra step to not be a terrible person and take 30 seconds to be like, is this good or bad? Let me think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and let's discuss it. Like, don't, don't, yes. I think that's one of the things that's great about I2E2 in general is that it's bringing people together so that to have that dialogue, because sometimes people are afraid to ask those questions, you know, also, and this is an environment where it's like, no, 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 we, we welcome the questions. Let's have some respectful dialogue about it. Let yeah. us be your Google. Is what that actually, that segues into, I, I did not really give a lot of detail earlier about the panel discussion with the power and problems of collaboration, but um, for the panel discussion, uh, Dr. G, Christina, will be, um, she'll be uh, joining the panel discussion. Carrie Crawford is uh, from the Muscle Shoals National Heritage Area is going to um, she's going to moderate that, but the folks that are other panelists, um, besides Christina, uh, Brian Murphy, he's the curator for the Florence Indian Mound Museum and Pope's Tavern Museum here locally. And Marie Taylor, she's an assistant professor here in the UNA English department. And Anita Flanagan is from the Alabama chapter of the Trail of Tears Association. And so they'll all come together and discuss. And generally speaking with panel discussions, there's an opportunity for the audience to engage as well. Yes, always. And so I I love that we're giving people a chance to tell their story because again, it's the whole question we're asking is whose story is it? Yeah. Whose story are we choosing to tell? Yeah, the the whole stand and deliver thing is definitely not the vibe of anybody I think that's involved with with this. um, And it never has been with I2E2. Yes. As we come to an end, I like to ask everybody um, to do a little fizzle down, feel good about like at least one good thing that's happened to you this week. What is something that's been, you know, a good thing? It could be a gut your order right at your local coffee shop. Just something very simple. If you don't mind me asking, what's yours? Well, mine is, so Megan and I have been friends for a really long time, but I hardly ever talk to her. And so honestly, my feel good, like this week has been, we've been on Zoom and phone calls and texts like more so than we ever have. And it's like, you know, who's texting you? I was like, oh, it's my girlfriend, you know. <laughs> That's right. I feel good. I look down and Megan is texting me. We're actually talking face to face, you know, Zoom wise, but. <laughs> well, 
Mr. C, I guess is what I'm going to call you. Yeah. So I think for me, I've had, there's a group of like five people that we're all working with each other on different projects. And so there's just been about 30 emails and five phone calls and all of these things. And on every single phone call, no matter what the combination is of me talking to somebody, we're just saying really lovely things about the other people. So it's this like- It's a compliment circle. Oh, yeah. I love that, it's yeah. Like those people aren't there. So we're just kind of secretly talking about how much we like working with each other. All, but it's like in every combination, we're all doing it. And it's just been this really wonderful thing. I mean, as we've been getting to be part of growing an industry here and with Megan as well. And this is, you know, it's like, this is the life we always wanted to have is have a network of friends and artists that we're working with. And that it's such a, we just get to work with so many wonderful people. Just to upload everybody, like uplift everybody and let everyone know what's happening and how they feel. It's just, I feel like that's such a good thing. I echo, I echo Christina's sentiment for my fizzle down feel good because I, it's the kind of, it's, it's always an odd thing when you go through all of these stages in your life. So like we were, we lived in a house together in New Mexico. We traveled like back and forth from New Mexico to LA. So I was at Onyx Lane um, before it was Onyx Lane. Um, so it's been great having that constant communication. We also just came off of a conference where we performed together too, with a couple of, we've done, we, we do multiple collaborations together. Um, I think that's kind of just our goal in life is to be as in many projects together as we can, because we're basically family at this point. Um, but I would also add that the fizzle down feel good is that, uh, we're going to also incorporate that with colleagues that I, I have here at UNA. So like Christine and Patrick have had an opportunity to meet um, a former student of mine who is actually the Norton technical director, who's going to be doing all of the cool lighting that's going on for cube of light, Ethan Franks. And so we've had some opportunity to work with him. And then the performers, um, some of the musical performers are new colleagues that I actually have a connection to one of them because we went to school together at Michigan State. He's our new uh, Shoal Symphony conductor. He's a fantastic cellist. And so he's playing in the string quartet. Patrick is playing in the string quartet. Um, and Amanda Wilton's playing viola. She's a new uh, faculty member colleague. And uh, Whitney O'Neill and Joe Gray, who we've played in other ensembles. It's it's a wonderful community that we can bring together. So the fizzle down feel good is that like music and artistry and artists, it all comes full circle. Like the goal is to, if you had a great experience to continue trying to have those experiences and to keep collaborating with one another yeah absolutely I feel like mine is more selfish than all of yours because mine okay. has to do with consumerism I'm not I'm not <laughs> mad about it no I'm very happy about it there you go there you I, go I have okay. gone into uh, capitalism and uh, I got a collector doll that I love oh so much it sold out within five minutes and I was literally sobbing by buying it I was so excited what was so it? um I, I love monster high and so they have some collector dolls and so I was able to get my favorite one and she just dropped it I was I was literally shaking and crying for like 20 minutes but it was so, so worth it yeah. it was so worth Awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> but um, I, um, do you guys have any projects or anything besides like, you know, Cube of Light that you do want to plug or anything like that or the seminar that's happening? Anything? Anything we want to plug? Anything we're allowed to plug? Oh, Ooh, well, top secret. <laughs> yeah, we have lots of projects coming up. So we're just going to have to come back to the podcast. You can just plug the website so people can go to the website. Oh, yeah, that yeah. sounds good. Yeah, so our website is onyxlane.com. And, you know, we're on the Facebook and the Instagram. We're learning how to TikTok. So don't. don't, don't. For everyone who is dyslexic like me, Onyx is spelled O-N-Y-X. Yes. So, yes. 
but um, go check those out. Please go. Um, but I want to thank everyone for listening to today's podcast. I had some lovely guests and I love having them on here and talking about so much more. I learned more than I was expecting to learn when I first originally planned to do this. So this was very much fun. Please come to iTunes E2. By the time this comes out, you should either That's one right. be there It'll or be able to register. Before. It'll yeah. drop the day before. So You'll yeah. be able to register. So come register. Yeah. The first 50 people who register get a free t-shirt if I'm not mistaken. So who doesn't like a free shirt? That's right. But thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you next time. Yay, thank you. Thank you.